I decrease so that, Lord, you may increase through me. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone says, amen. You all can be seated. And if you would, open with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, the book of Ephesians is honestly one of my favorite books to study. One of, I think now that I'm actually finishing up a study in Romans, Romans takes the cake because it's just a masterpiece. But we're not talking about Romans tonight. We're going to talk about Ephesians. And this book has six chapters. It's been broken up into six chapters. It was a prison epistle written by the Apostle Paul. And the way in which he wrote this epistle is that the first three chapters dealt with what God has provided for us. It dealt with our position that we have because of Christ Jesus. And the last three chapters of Ephesians deal with now that we've received the word of God, now that we've received Christ, now that we're walking in the grace of God, how practically are we supposed to live in light of that? And so if you ever look at Ephesians, that is the perfect book that balances grace with faith. And so I wanted to give that backdrop before I begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6, because context is king. How many know you just can't take one scripture and then create a, a point that you're going to hinge off of without providing some sort of background and information? And so Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is summarizing this book. And Paul is taking an opportunity to, you, you know how you, you, you're trying to get off the phone. Y'all remember back when minutes weren't free? <laughs> and, and, and when minutes weren't free, you chose your words wisely. It wasn't none of this breathing on the phone and sighing and what you doing? Nothing. What you doing? Uh, it, it was like, no, 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 look, look, you don't understand. It's 37 cents a minute after, uh, before 9 o'clock, and uh, I need you to say what you had to say or wait till that time. And so um, Paul, being filled with all the goodness of God and having a personal relationship, an authentic relationship with God, couldn't get enough of writing about how good God was to him. And the papyrus that he was writing on was expensive, therefore it was limited. And so at some point he realized, I got to cut this off. And Ephesians chapter 6, where we're going to look at today, is him cutting off the book of Ephesians and kind of summarizing the entire book for us. And so with that being said, before I read verse 10, I've learned that there's a difference between what we think we know versus what we actually know. We can say what we will and will not do until we get into the situation or the situation gets on us. And then we find out what really has been placed on the inside of us. I've also learned that the best relationships are the ones that have been through some stuff and made it out on the other side. I learned that if I keep staying happily married long enough, that life is going to hit your marriage. And I've learned that when life hits your marriage, instead of y'all trying to hit each other, uh, and you all working together in the midst of life happening, and you all walk through a situation together, not accusing each other because the situation hit the marriage, but actually coming out on the other side of it, that it brings you closer together because now 
you both have history. Now there's something when you both look at each other's eyes to know that when I was going through something, they were with me. When I was at my lowest, they stood by my side. When, when no one else believed in me, they still believed in me. They, they weren't a person that was in the relationship only when it was good. They were with me in times where it wasn't as good as we thought it would be. And I love relationships and I love being married to a woman and, and, and knowing people who will stick with you no matter what happens in your life. But with that being said, we don't give God the same credit. And so religion has taught people that when life gets hard, God gets gone and he leaves. Religion has taught people that when things get tough, that they cannot depend on the person who sticks closer than a brother. And so Paul now addressing us from prison, having not done anything wrong, he wants to encourage us how to not only say we are Christians, but to actually live this out. And I want you to understand this. The way you believe God treats you is how you're going to treat other people. So in human relationships, we try to address issues of fruit as opposed to dealing with the root, which is our lack of trust in the heavenly father. And so before we can build upon the, the, the place that is relationships, let's first have an accurate relationship picture with the Lord. And understand how we're supposed to live in this Christian walk. So in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the title of tonight's message is Battle-Tested Christianity. Battle-Tested Christianity. Because we can shout all day long in church. We can run around and say, oh, that's good word, good word. But as soon as life hits us, what is our response? And so Paul sitting in prison, realizing that life has just hit me after I just got done telling you all that God has blessed you with all spiritual blessing. I just got done telling you that he saved you by grace. I just got done telling you now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that's at work within you. He said, after I get done telling you all of that, I want you to understand that life will still hit you and you need to respond correctly to it. And so battle-tested Christianity is Christianity that does not get weaker when adversity hits, but it gets stronger when adversity hits. God desires a relationship with us. That when things do not go the way in which we thought, that we don't turn around and blame him for being something that he isn't. Just because it didn't happen the way in which in your mind it played out doesn't mean that God is not good. And so... Paul is saying here, life will happen, but I want you to be strong. That word strong there means this is your resource. This is your source. This is your supply. Your supply is in the Lord. And it also goes on to say, 
and not only is your supply in the Lord, but he goes on to describe what this supply is. The word power there means all of the power from all of the armies of heaven. So it doesn't matter how low you may feel, you have to remind yourself that my supply does not come from this world. My supply doesn't come from what I see and what I look at. My supply comes from the inside, which is my spirit, which is in Christ. And the power supply that I get to draw from is the power that is backed up by all of heaven. So I am not helpless no matter what situation I find myself in. But Paul goes on to instruct us that first we're to be strong in the Lord by putting on the whole armor of God. And the purpose of that is because he wants us to stand against the wiles, which simply means the deception or the mind games of the enemy. Anything the enemy throws at you is not real. It is a figment of your imagination. And he said the only way for you to continue to live in a place that this too shall pass is by standing in and with the armor of God. The word stand there comes from the Greek word. Hi, stay me. We'll go with that because I've got the microphone. And the word hastemi means to stand face to face with your covenant. Again, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand face to face with your covenant while the enemy is trying to play mind games with you. Your feelings go in the direction of your focus. And so if I'm focused on anything outside of my covenant, my feelings, my direction, my attitude will follow. And so Paul is encouraging us, no matter what happens to you, stay face to face with your covenant. So that would behoove us now to understand what specifically does that mean. I don't know about y'all, and this is just me, I'm telling myself, I didn't really know what the armor of God was before I started studying this. I knew we were supposed to have it and, like, walk in it, but, like, way it is, I did not know that. Okay, that's just me. I'm sorry. You all are more learned than I am. And so I wanted to ask the Lord specifically, what does it mean to put on the armor of God? Am I supposed to walk around with some clothes or with some, like, what am I supposed to do? Well, let's keep on reading in verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's one of the wiles or the deception or the mind games of Satan. One of his mind games is to try to convince you that people are your problem. People are never your problem. People are never your problem. Only thing that happens when you react to what someone does, they just reveal what was in you. So we don't see people for how they are we see people based on how we are in the condition of our soul. So no one can make you go off. No one can get on your nerves if you didn't put them out there for them to get on. No one can make you feel some type of way. No one can make you feel 
any type of way. If that wasn't already on the inside of you. But what happens is we project on others because of things we don't want to deal with in ourselves. And so I, when you say you have a problem with such and such, you're really telling everyone what the problem really is going on with you. We think that when we look at others, that we're able to see them as a glass window. But God didn't make us as glass windows. He made us as mirrors. So the things that I don't like about someone else is really me making an admission of what I don't like about myself. It's tight, but it's right. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So people, people are never your problem. People are not your problem. In friendships, in relationships, on the job, it's never people. It's what's going on in here. What are we dealing with? What are we refusing to deal with? Is it an area of unbelief? An area of trust? When I feel like I need to go into self-preservation mode, it's really an admission that I do not believe God can protect me. And so I get angry, not because of what they did, but because of how I'm acting after seeing what they did. Amen. Amen. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Now I want to talk about what powers are here. We could throw that up there on the screen. It was interesting when I really started studying what the word powers means. It means circumstances that come just from life happening where Satan tries to capitalize on to tell you that God is not with you. The common person that people blame is God. When the reality is we live in a fallen world. But what Satan will do is he will come in when a certain circumstance comes and says, well, you know why that happened, right? You remember back in 85? Yeah. Remember when I said give $7 and you gave $6.99? 99 and a half won't do. That, that's why that happened. But that word we're wrestling against powers is the enemy distracting us from being face-to-face with our covenant. Ever notice that it takes you just a little extra when things happen to you for you to attack the word? It's easier to attack the bottle. The bottle. (laughs) It's easy to attack and to go back to old lifestyle and old behavior because Satan knows that I've got to use some level of distraction to get you from being face-to-face or standing in your covenant. Let's go on and keep reading here. It says, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in heavenly places. Verse 13. Therefore, now, in order to continue to stay face to face with your covenant, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore. Now, who's been in church for a couple years? Just by a show of hands. All right. Who's heard a message 
on these two scriptures right here before. Who's heard that? And having done all to stand, ha, you are to stand. Ha. I said when you don't feel like standing anymore, ha, I said you need to go ahead and stand therefore. Ha. 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 You can't tell me when I felt like falling and laying down on the ground, the Lord told me to stand. We've been there. Well, we preach this like it's no one's business, but I, I'm just a person that's like, what does that mean practically? Having done all to stand, stand therefore. It's actually making reference to two different seasons of your life. In having done all to stand, it, it talks about the times where you feel like giving up. You know, anybody ever been there? I know I've been there, so I'm going to talk about myself. The times where I'm tired of being a Christian, the times I'm tired of quoting scriptures, the times I'm tired of standing in faith, and the times I just want to give up and go back to the old me. But it's just all of a sudden the Lord encourages me by him being good and by him being great to just continue to stand in what he's already shown me, the promises that he said he never leave me and that he never forsake me. When I realize that I'm not going through this by myself, all of a sudden I say, now I have that internal energy to keep standing in the covenant. That's the first part of that. But stand, therefore, says, don't leave the covenant after you come out on the other side. So when life hits me, I mean all day. First thing I do, I'm in the Word. But as soon as we make it through that tough patch, I'm back to the old me. He's saying, no, no, no. When you make it through, remember who got you through. When you go on to come up, remember who held you up when you couldn't hold yourself up. What he's saying is after you've done what it took to get through that tough season, don't leave those habits. Don't leave that time in the word. Don't leave those times where you're talking to God and being honest with him. He's saying don't leave that. Continue to stand there for, and this is how you do that. Having girded your waist with truth. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing this word of truth. So, so I, I, I actually started reading this as well and started reading this in the Greek, just, you know, hobby, you know, kind of fun. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, how many of you all with me thought that this meant that there's a certain level of study I've got to put in for God to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You can't just come up in there with that one little Bible app scripture and talk about, I'm done, thank you, Lord, bless it. Anybody ever read that scripture and thought the same thing? Study to show thyself approved? A workman not needing uh, to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? In the Greek, it means something completely different. It says, study to show yourself that you're approved by God, that you are a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Another word for truth is grace. They're synonymous. So rightly dividing the word of grace or this covenant means that because of Jesus, he's already approved me. So in the moments, because come on, let's be honest, let's just, just keep it 100, that when life happens, 
you feel like you did something to deserve life happening to you. So you don't necessarily want to pray like you ought. You don't necessarily want to read like you ought. But he's saying here, continue to keep your girt, your, what, what, that, what, that, what that word say that? Your loins girt about what you, so no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel, continue to remind yourself of the truth that you're already approved by God. That even though this isn't going right, I'm already approved by God. That even though I'm having to just stand on what I know is to be right, even though when everything else is telling me something different, I'm already approved by God. Anytime you feel ashamed as a Christian, you are not properly dividing the new covenant. Shame is a part of the fall. And Christ has redeemed you from feeling ashamed for bad behavior. Now, let me balance this. That doesn't mean you have no remorse. But what it does mean is that you do not get into condemnation as in you are a helpless, hopeless cause. That you don't just sit there and accept things piling on top of you as your, this is what I deserve. That's not rightly dividing the word of grace or of truth. Let's continue to read. So going back to my first question is, what is the whole armor of God? Let's go back to verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. It reads, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's a part of the armor of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of gospel of peace. I always thought the word shod meant shine. Anybody ever, just me? Y'all thought it meant shine too? Nobody, you're like, we know what it meant. It just, it just sound nice. <laughs> I always thought that word having your feet shine, like, you know, in the airport when they shine your shoes with the preparation of gospel of peace. The word shod means the grip, your grip on your shoes with the preparation of the gospel of peace, meaning that what holds me when it feels like life is slipping away is knowing that I'm prepared in the goodness of God for what I'm facing, that God will not have me in this situation if he didn't give me the grace that has already overcome the situation that I'm currently in. So when I feel like things are slipping away, what keeps me and helps me get a grip is the fact that I have shalom, shalom, nothing missing and nothing broken. So I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what's happening to me because this too shall pass like everything else. That's what having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It was good to me. Amen. So verse 16 says... And above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So it's describing all of these different pieces of the armor of God. But how many of you know I did not yet define what exactly the armor of God is? I just described it. I did not define it. Everything I just read is a description of the armor of God. The definition 
is in that next line, which is the word of God. So when he says, take on to you the whole armor of God, most people think I need to get all these scriptures. I need to have this together. I need to have that together. Oh, oh, I think my, I don't have my breastplate. I don't have my helmet. Do I, have, I got my sword. <laughs> we walk around with the sword. And the only thing about walking around with the sword, thinking that that's the word of God. See, the sword of the spirit was never meant to cut people. It was meant to cut and divide between your soul and your spirit. What I mean by that? Most religious folk use the Bible to cut folks. Oh, oh, you're going to do this? What well, the word of God says in Habakkuk chapter 2. And according to Leviticus. This, if, if you're using the Bible to hurt people, you are not rightly dividing the word of truth. Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word is alive, it's quick, it's sharp, it's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing between the soul and the spirit. Why is that? Because sometimes we can't tell, is this me? Is it the devil or is it God? What, 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 what helps me with that? It's going to the word which tells you, no, that's you, and that's the devil, and then this is what the word of the Lord says. He said, never use this Bible ever to correct somebody. I come to you in the name of authoritatus. man. Bible was sent to heal. Bible is used to love because the Bible is Jesus and Jesus is the word incarnate. And if Jesus came, only folk Jesus had to set straight were the religious folk that thought they had it all together and didn't need him. But he ain't never, ever get a person in sin together by telling them that they're a sinner. He was telling the righteous person that that is self-righteousness. And you need my righteousness because you ain't all that. Put them swords up and use them to work on your own self. But do not, do not, do not use the word. I'm passionate about this because I'm currently in school and um, taking master's level religious studies, leadership studies courses. And I come in those classes not telling them, hi, I'm the heralded small groups director from Linked Up. I'm, I'm Vince because that's what's on my birth certificate. And I sit in the cut and I lay back. I don't say nothing. And these pastors, these church leaders, these folk who if they could only see themselves and their attitude toward a world out here who needs somebody to help them burns me up. And so I'm in class playing the advocate for the voiceless who might not know all of the Elizabethan English. They might not know the Bible front and back, but they know who God has been to them. They know what God has brought them from. They, they know that I might not have a chapter or verse, but you can't take away the fact that when I was at my lowest and when I didn't have anything and when I didn't have anyone, 
There was like a breath of fresh air. There was a wind that came into my heart and immediately I just felt repentant and that I needed Jesus. And in my own house, without anybody around, I called upon the name of the Lord and he heard my cry. He's turned me around. So they might not know all of the Bible verses and the scriptures, but you got these religious people who think they know everything, but don't know anything because the only thing that we know is Jesus, him crucified, him raised from the dead and his finished works. All the other things in the Bible that we have are all pointing to Jesus Christ. And so that's why in Romans 10 and 13 it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved because all you need is Jesus. Everything else points to him. So I'm a little passionate about that. Because if you want to go there, we can go there. But I don't want to have to go there because that's not what I'm supposed to go there for. So put your swords up. And use it on yourself. You know, you know, let me just, I'm sorry, we just, we just family tonight. You know the most self-righteous folk are the most folk that be sinning all the time. Because you want to deflect all the stuff you don't feel like dealing with on somebody else. When the only thing you're looking at is a mirror of yourself. That was not my message tonight. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Samuel 17 then, y'all. Man, I love, oh, I love the grace of God. Which teaches us to deny ungodliness. Which empowers us in areas that we couldn't have been empowered in before. I love this grace because I don't deserve it, nor could I ever. I love his goodness because it's everlasting. I love God because his mercies are unsearchable. And Psalm 103 says they're as high as the heavens, and and there's some galaxies that are millions of light years away. And so in layman's terms, Millions of light years away means it would take me a million years at the speed of light to even get to these galaxies. And only thing about that is every 24 hours I have to start all over again because his mercies are new every morning. And when I think about that love and, and I, I remember where he's brought me from and, and, and I go back to where I started and 11 years ago I, I can remember being homeless. I, I, can, I can remember not having... A, a job. I can remember not having a car. I can remember not having anything. I, I, and I, I know, like I know, God is good where he says, taste and see that I am good. Experience me for yourself. And, and when I experience him daily, he transforms me internally. And so I, I think about the times that when I did get a little something here and a little something there and I thought I had things all together and I thought I knew the word and, and I realized that I was this emotional wreck who, who just had a lot of things that he suppressed, didn't want to talk to anybody about, thought it was not a, being a person of faith to say that I'm dealing with some things personally, internally, but yet God still worked with me throughout all of my mistakes, throughout all of my flaws, through the times that I told him that I wouldn't make certain mistakes again, 
and I still made certain mistakes and he held my business close like a friend and he helped me and he loved me and he picked me up and all he asked me to do was just with my life share this good news with other people with my life just let them know that God loves them because me being in my mind the chief of all sinners because there's 613 different laws there's And on top of that, there are more laws put in by the Levitical priesthood. So I can't keep all of those. And so only thing in of my own self I could do was sin. And in of my own self, he said, while you were my enemy, I love you. While you were my enemy, I'm looking out for you. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. I am here to help you every single step of the way. And I look at my life and I can't take credit for anything that God is doing because of his goodness. And if we just have a moment to understand that, yes, life is going to hit you because it wants to take away the very thing that I'm telling you. It wants to tell you that God doesn't love you. It wants to tell you that God doesn't want to use you. It wants to tell you that God is done with you. But I've got news for you. You haven't seen anything yet. And when you spend time with the Lord, he will show you that you haven't even started on what he has for you. So it's not about preaching with enticing words of man's wisdom. Yeah, I could put a sermon together and I could play on the emotional aspects of individuals. I could shout all day long. But at the end of the day, what's going to help you when you're by yourself? When no one else is around? Where internally, you haven't told anybody the very things that you're dealing with. Because you're in leadership. And you think that's an admission of being weak spiritually. No, it's actually an admission of spiritual strength. When you can be aware to the areas that you aren't all that great in. And the areas that you can become dependent in God in. Because I'm sorry, folks. People don't want another sermon. They want a life that's been transformed by the goodness of God. And they want to be encouraged that their life, too, can be transformed by the goodness of God. So 1 Samuel 17, and I'll close here tonight. Another familiar story of David and Goliath. A story that I learned growing up and I saw movies on and cartoons and you know in sports we even say David versus Goliath but there's some significance to what David went through and what we go through daily because the things that were written in the Old Testament were for our example and they're lessons and symbols that we can pull from the Old Testament to apply today and so for the sake of time this is like a four or five part series after I got done with this and I'm I'm not doing this four or five more times because when you get up, get it in, get it how you live. (laughs) 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 And uh, wait for the next time. But uh, for the sake of time, Goliath represents an emotional stronghold in your life. That's the symbol. 
because Goliath was a giant. And emotional strongholds in our life, whatever size they are, to us, they're gigantic. To us, they are impossible. To us, they're hard to overcome. And if you remember, when I first started off, I said that Paul wanted us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand face to face with our covenant so that we don't start getting caught up in the mind games, i.e. emotional strongholds, that Satan tries to plant in our life. The only reason you don't see the very things you dream is because of the giants or the emotional strongholds that aren't real. And the moment you knock them down, which I'll show you in a second, then you'll begin to walk in the very things that you dream. Strongholds exist career-wise because we think about where we came from, education we do or do not have. We think about what people that are close to us have told us about what we said we wanted to do. And those thoughts keep playing over and over in our mind. They can exist in relationships. They can exist in marriages where we can believe that there's no such thing as a happy relationship. There's no such thing as a happy marriage because of how I grew up, where I came from, what I experienced. There's always going to be something that you just can't stand about the other person. Emotional strongholds, giants, Goliaths. And for further study, what I recommend after you leave here is to read 1 Samuel chapter 17. The entire chapter, as I said, I can't do it justice here tonight, but I encourage you all to read 1 Samuel chapter 17, the entire chapter. And as you do, you'll notice the progression of how David stood face to face with his Goliath, or the giant that was before him. To kind of give a backstory, because I have to pick up midway through the chapter here, uh, Goliath, or as we're going to call our emotional stronghold, began talking to the people of God. And when he addressed the people of God, he addressed them for where they were at and not who they were. He called the people of God, you servants of Saul. That was their assignment. That wasn't their calling. And so we can never get wrapped up into our assignments because our assignment is not our final destination. It's where we're at. And Satan will try to talk to you because of your current assignment or the lack thereof, and tell you why you can't do what God has called you to do, or because of a certain situation or circumstance that's in your life, tell you that you're inept, you're inadequate, you can't do anything, and he will address you based off of your current location. If the soldiers were just present of mind enough to realize that Goliath wasn't even talking to them because they were people of God, not servants of Saul. And when you allow your circumstance to talk to you based off of your current financial status, your current relationship status, your current occupational goal standing, whatever it is, you have to remind that thought and out of your mouth tell that thought, that is not who I am. I am a child of God. And so when they began to believe, it lowered their self-image of who they were. It made them to uh, forget about their covenant that God had made with them. So it caused them to be afraid. And so Saul's army was dismayed. They did not, they stopped 
fighting. The only time we stop fighting for what we know God has called us to do is when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we place it on the things that we do not have. And so in the midst of any test or trial that you face in your walk, in your relationship with the Lord, stop listening to crazy, self-defeating thoughts that come to you. But one thing about these thoughts, just like Goliath, they presented themselves daily and over a period of time. It said that Goliath came out 40 days like, hey, what up? I'm waiting. Next day, hey, what up? I'm waiting. I feel like law and order. Doom. Day 27. Hey, what up? <laughs> and because there was no one around them, because of the company that they kept that was willing to challenge that wrong way of thinking, they all cowered and went back into their shell and went back into their box. That's why, shameless plug, I encourage small groups because... You need to be surrounded by individuals that will be able to challenge wrong ways of thinking that try to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Shameless plug, I'm sorry. But in verse 26, it says, then David spoke to the men. So David, out of nowhere, you know, he came, you know, he was on assignment for something, but God has something greater. So don't get caught up in your current assignment. You have to always think about the big picture. Man, that's good. God has something just great for you. And you can't get discouraged because you think you're on do boy status or messenger status right now or servant status. It is just preparing you for your ultimate place of destiny. So you have to treat every assignment again, not for where you're at, but where you're going. I'm not serving people because I'm trying to get something. I'm serving people because I know what God has given to me. And you stop messing around with folk. I'm like, no. Look at where you're going. And so David spoke to the men uh, who stood by saying, what shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't talk about, whoa, who that big dude over there? (laughs) He went right to covenant. He said, I don't care what it looks like. It doesn't have covenant. I don't care what your situation looks like. It does not have covenant. You do. And so let's drop down to verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. So again, trying to remind him for where he is. And he's a man of war from his youth. Again, people close to him, discouraging him from what he knows God has revealed to him. So, David responded. He said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out the flock, I went, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught the, man, that, that, that's, that's, you know, that's serious. Uh, I caught it by its beard. I struck it and I killed it. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? Because of covenant. When you feel discouraged, when you feel down, remind yourself of where God brought you from before. Remind yourself 
that you might not be where you're going, but thank God I, I, I left. <laughs> and you have to remember in your mind the times where your body wasn't feeling well and God was your healer. You have to remember the times you didn't have a job and he was your provider. You have to remember the times where your back was against the wall and he was your way maker. You have to remember every single time you thought you could never get out of those destructive habits, but yet he was your deliverer, that he has redeemed your life from destruction and that he's crowned you with his loving kindness and his tender mercies. When you remind yourself of what God has already done, it guarantees victory because God will not change on you one iota. That is what prepared David. Not that there was all the army knew they had a covenant, but what did the covenant mean to David? You can know the grace of God is on your life. You can know the word of God, but what does the word mean to you? How has it worked for you? I'm, I'm out of time. But let me give you the Spartanos version of this. Let's fast forward to the end. What did David kill Goliath with? Smooth stone, right? We can agree to that. David recalls this experience in Psalm 62 and 2 where he's talking about the Lord and he said, he is my rock. Matthew 16, starting I believe at verse 13 through like 19, Jesus asked his disciples, what do men say that I am? And his disciples responded with one of them glory, hallelujah, blessed, and highly favored answers. But Jesus pressed the issue and said, but I want to know personally, who have I been to you? Who answered? Peter. Before his name was Peter, it was Simon Bar-Jonah. He was just Simon, son of Jonah. But he responded from a relationship of how good he had seen the word at work in his life. And he says, you are Christ. You are the anointed one in my life. What was Jesus' response to him? Flesh and blood did not, re- you didn't hear that. That wasn't a Facebook post you shared. That was personal. That was real. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of Christ's finished works, Petro, Petra, large rock that I'm going to build my church on, right? But he said, you are now Peter Petros, small stone, small rock. So when Peter got a revelation of what the covenant means to him. He became the rock with that revelation to attack any giant in his life. Let's stand.
There may be some of you in here dealing with a giant. I know I am. Anyone else in here dealing with a giant tonight? Let's knock these giants down by just being reminded of how God has been good to you. Now that giant has to fall because that emotional stronghold, that way of thinking does not have a covenant. You do. And I want to encourage everyone, after you leave here tonight, I want you to write that giant, or giants, plural, down. But I also, on the other side of that, want you to write down all of the times you've seen God work in your life. So every time you feel like quitting, every time you feel like giving up, and every time you feel like you're inadequate, I want you to look over on that other side and say, but it's not about me being adequate. It's about Christ and his sufficiency that has made me adequate. It's about God's power and not my power. That he's my supply and I can get high off my own supply. Some of y'all caught that. Let's just lift up our hands to the Lord today. And this is a personal time of reflection out of your heart. Personal time of reflection from where you are. Don't push this off as a religious thing that we do here. But I want you to think that giant has been talking to you all day, all week, all year, four years. And tonight it falls. Because if God has delivered you before, he's already delivered you going forward. So, Father, we're here tonight reminded and thinking of all the times you fought our battles, all the times you strengthened us and carried us, been our wisdom, been our peace, been our joy. And those things that tell us that we can't, things that tell us we're not good enough, Lord, it's because of your goodness that we're qualified to be sufficient for the day purpose to put on this whole armor of God by staying face to face in this covenant. Father, I pray for every single person that's here tonight. Removing any emotional, mental strongholds. Removing things that tell them they're not good enough. Let them know by just being good to them that they are accepted in the beloved. That you care for them. everyone looking up here at me I don't want to close this service without giving people an opportunity to receive prayer tonight there are different invitations that I'm going to offer but if on the inside if one of the invitations that I share with you just touches your heart please allow me to pray with you this evening we not only want to pray for you but we also want to tell you what your next steps are so that you don't have to keep coming and hitting the same things over and over again.